Hello, I'm Matthew Deemer, former congressional candidate for Ohio's 7th District. And I'm Nikisha Nickerson, secretary and vice chair of the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party and councilwoman for Woodmere Village. And we are the hosts of the brand new CCDP podcast, Cuyahoga Today. Where we share everything in the Democratic Party, politics, and Cuyahoga County. From in-depth interviews, Cuyahoga Dem updates, and information all about your local community. Find out everything that's happening in Cuyahoga today. And here are your updates. Help get the abortion rights on the ballot in Ohio today. Become a volunteer to help collect signatures by coming down to 3615 Superior Avenue, the Democratic Party headquarters, to pick up your petitions today. This is your Executive Vice Chair, Juanita Brent. We have an important election coming up on August 8th. In this election, we encourage you to vote no, and I mean it, you gotta vote no, to ensure that we protect our democracy. See you at the polls August 8th. One person, one vote. This past Sunday, May 21st, was the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party annual dinner where we heard messages from Prosecutor Michael Malley, Chairman David Brock, Congresswoman Chantel Brown, Senate Minority Leader Nikki Antonio, and we had a special message from our keynote speaker, DNC Chair Jamie Harrison. This year was a record breaker, where we had over 500 Democrats in attendance. We would like to say thank you to all that helped organize this successful event. And here's this week's upcoming Democratic events. Tonight, Tuesday, May 23rd, at 7 p.m., there's the Bedford-Walton Hills Democratic Club meeting. Also, at 7 p.m., there's the Cleveland Ward 16 Democratic Club meeting. Tomorrow, Wednesday, May 24th, you can sign petitions to get abortion rights on the ballot in Chagrin at 4 p.m. Also, at 5 p.m. in Lyndhurst. At 6.30 p.m., there's the Ward 12 Democratic Club meeting. Thursday, May 25th, at 5 p.m., there's a fundraiser for County Councilman Martin J. Sweeney. And at 6 p.m., the Lakewood Democratic Club is meeting as well. Saturday, May 27th at 9 a.m., sign the petitions to get abortion rights on the ballot in Euclid. On Sunday at 1 p.m., May 28th, come down to Solon, where the Solon Democratic Club is having a petition drive and a petition canvas. Now, without further ado, we talk to Ellen Cubitt about the history, the current state, and the work being done around Ohio to protect abortion rights. So right now we're sitting with Nikisha Nickerson. This is the secretary of the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party. My name is Matthew Deemer, and we have our guest today, Ellen Cubitt. And Ellen, you're going to come through and talk to us about the abortion petition, Roe Dobbs, the future of women's health care rights in Ohio. Can you please start us off and tell us a little bit about your background first? Absolutely. First, so happy to be here, Matt and Nikisha. Thank you. Um, yes, my name is Ellen Cubitt. I'm a lifelong Northeast Ohioan, 10 plus year resident of Cleveland. Uh, started sort of uh, living here when I attended Case Western for my undergrad. And like many, I chose not to leave. Um, recently finished my master's in public administration from CSU's Levin College of Urban Affairs, specifically focusing on the uh, conceptualization and operation of collaborative governance research. And I was really quite honored and excited last year to be elected to the County Party Central Committee uh, by my incredible neighbors of Cleveland Ward 3 Precinct B. If you're listening, I love you all. Shout out to Ward 3 Precinct B. <laughs> yes. And yeah, I'm extremely happy to be here um, to be part of this extremely important effort. 
uh, across our state, um, particularly mobilizing in the county around not just reproductive freedom, but also, frankly, democracy, which is really what this is, um, what we're seeing here in Ohio. Thank you so much for that, Ellen. Uh, We are excited to have you here today. I think we want to jump right on in and find out from you, what is the issue? What is the overturning Dobbs about? Tell us the nitty gritty. Absolutely. Well, attempting to keep this as brief as possible, it's important to take into consideration, frankly, the history of abortion here. When we sort of look at anthropological records, the act of abortion has been found in every society for the last 4,000 years. Wow. I didn't know that. Yes. Wow. It's a very common thing that happens if you're somebody who can give birth. And focusing specifically on the United States, what we saw was the criminalization of abortion around the end of the Civil War. And a lot of this was sort of coincided with the removal of midwives from the medicine community, um, as well as coinciding with acts against women's suffrage and, and really women fighting for the ability to participate in jobs, participate in the voting electorate. That's when we really started to see the criminalization of abortion in our country. Now, of course, whenever abortion has been made illegal, the demand has never gone away. And so what we saw, I would say, during sort of the late 1800s, early 1900s was depending upon your race, your age, your economic background, where you lived, there were many women who were able to obtain this safe procedure, and there were many women who simply were not. And uh, a lot of movement led to Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court case of 1973, um, which, you know, is what ultimately got overturned with Dobbs last year, mm-hmm. including states reforming their abortion laws leading up to that 1973, with four states in particular outright getting rid of all criminalization. Um, I always like to point out that uh, when former President Ronald Reagan was governor of California, he was uh, known for enacting the most liberal abortion law right. in the country at the time. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, again, we always like to forget that that piece of history. But bottom line is a lot of movement led to Roe v. Wade, uh, including Griswold v. Connecticut in 1965, which invalidated the, use, the ban on contraception by married couples. Um, and then, of course, we have Roe v. Wade in 1973, where the court held that the right to privacy encompasses a woman's decision whether or not to terminate her pregnancy. And thus, certain restrictions on abortions could be justified, but only by a compelling state interest. Yet the life of the mother was strongly prioritized. Personally, I think it's also important to point out that the court that made that decision included no women at all. Hmm. I always like to point that out. Let's Mm -hmm. not forget that, right? That's right. (laughs) And what is often left out of the conversation when we're talking about Dobbs, um, especially between Roe and Dobbs, is another significant Supreme Court case, Planned Parenthood v. Casey of 1992. What happened here was a very restrictive Pennsylvania law was uh, upheld, which effectively created a new standard to evaluate abortion legislation called undue burden. And at the time, in 1992, the justices um, insisted they were not overturning Roe, Uh, But what they did do is they certainly weakened it by creating a new standard that um, legislation would determine whether or not it was too burdensome. 
So I think those are that's some important historical context when we're talking about Dobbs um, and what sort of led here. But then, of course, nearly a year ago, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization was the Supreme Court that was released amidst serious ethical controversy, I might add, the leaking of the opinion, the questions, frankly, of even sort of the ethical nature of the Supreme Court and how many of those justices even got on the Supreme Court to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, they effectively ruled both Roe and Casey, uh, determining that the Constitution does not offer a right to a rebort- abortion and returning that regulation back to the states. Do you have any, uh, like, now this is totally off subject, because, but you made me think about it, because one of the big, biggest, I guess, questions that on everybody's mind when that decision was leaked was that it was either A, um, them trying to figure out like how everybody's gonna react to this decision, or be an advocate with inside the court saying like this is crazy. Let's see if we can fight it before it is the official decision. Do you have any like insight to how that rolled out? Yeah, I think well, you know, there's a lot of a uh, lot of thoughts, but I think where a lot of um, sort of evidence leads up is that this was the leak was actually coming from anti-abortion advocates within the court. Um, Why? At the time, I, I'm not sure when they were deciding that it was, um, and, of guess, and of course this is conjecture, but at the time I, I don't know if they were full-blown deciding that they were going to completely overrule Roe v. Casey as opposed to offer a very confusing ruling on this particular law. So they're testing the waters for the most part. Yes. Um, I think many people would say that sort of Justice Alito um, might have been the one to sort of release this to rile up uh, some of the sort of far, far anti-abortion mm-hmm. fanatics. Of course, this is conjecture. Um, there were supposedly investigations on it. And I think, if I'm remembering correctly, Justice Alito said something along the lines of, I don't know who did it, but it wasn't me. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. That's not very convincing to me. Trigger laws triggered across the country. And a trigger law is when a court case gets ruled on. If it goes a certain direction, there's laws already on the books, in place, already voted on, ready to come into action right when that happens. And so across the country, we saw bans on abortion, six-week bans, 12-week bans, other kind of uh, draconian laws that came out. How did that not only affect the country, affect the conversation, and affect women in Ohio? Absolutely. And I think this decision didn't end. Nothing was sort of uh, in a stasis with Roe v. Wade. There were so much movement still going on. And we still saw states all across the country working on an anti-choice agenda. And in Ohio alone, the amount of anti-choice legislation that has gone out, you know, even before the Dobbs decision is just astronomical. So yes, there were states who were constantly working, mobilizing anti-choice agendas, six-week bans, all other sorts of bans, all other sorts of criminalization of, of just women in general. Mm. And with with overruling Roe and Casey and effectively saying that this is something that is left to the states, they were then empowered and emboldened to sort of really run with that anti-choice agenda. And so what we saw are states that have been hostile to maternal health and reproductive freedom were able to really sort of legitimatize their attacks. Um, so we're talking about criminalizing women who miscarry, criminalizing doctors for providing life-saving health care services for women, forcing anyone of reproductive de- development age to give birth, mm-hmm. even if the pregnancy was the result of incest or rape. And, or a minor. We, have you heard about the 12-year-old girl? Unbelievably terrible story. I, I think she was actually even 10. 
Mm-hmm. So oh, she was 10. Yeah, she was 10. She was young. Just unbelievably heartbreaking. Um, and, and even some states even attempting to ban certain types of birth control or mm-hmm. what's also commonly known as the morning after pill. So, yes, the, the, the ruling of Dobbs allowed all of that anti-choice legislation to become much more legitimate. You're very knowledgeable about this topic, I can tell. But what made you passionate about this? You're, I know you have your boots on the ground here in Cuyahoga. Um, we talked about Ohio, but what's happening here in Cuyahoga? And more importantly, what drove you to get involved? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, really my sort of political advocacy, I would say, well, it was funny. If my, if my grandfather was still here, he would joke that back when I was six, I used to say I'd be the first Republican female president. That is no longer true. But uh, once I reached the age to be able to sort of read things and make my own opinions on stuff, a lot of, uh, I realized the Republican Party and I really wouldn't get along. But no, I'd say um, ever since really I was a teenager, my political advocacy has really been mobilized around bodily autonomy. And um, that comes down to reproductive freedom, abortion, as well as sexual violence prevention. Um, Those were sort of two issues in college that sort of really drove what I wanted to do, what I was focusing on, um, because I think the issues are one of the same, which is simply bodily autonomy. So what about in the nation? What's happening in Michigan, in Iowa? Absolutely. So first and foremost, I want to start with the fact that abortion is still legal in Ohio. Up until about 21 weeks or less than six months, for now, abortion is still legal in Ohio. The As we talked about earlier, the Dobbs but, but decision... But I, I gotta just ask about that really yeah. quick, because even though it is still legal in Ohio, there's a lot of healthcare professionals that don't want to deal, deal with it because of the possibility of it becoming illegal, and then the possibility of going back in either suing or threatening a license or health or insurance, those things, correct? Absolutely. And I I think this is the significance of when we talk about what that sort of that burden actually looks like. Mm. Something it's legal. Yes. But is it easy? Hell no. Hell no. Um, Just even the amount of clinics that are are operating and able uh, the, I think one of the things that people forget is not only is this one of the safest medical procedures that there are, but it is highly, 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 highly re- regulated, highly regulated. Um, we're talking about, yeah, doctors, I, I think the amount of sort of obstetrics, even departments across the country that have been closing because frankly, they don't want to expose themselves to a liability right. of getting sued. But I think you know, some of that tension we're talking about, while it is still legal up to a certain amount of time, that is also only because the six-week abortion ban, the the ruling of Dobbs triggered in Ohio, is being reviewed on the court. So what we could have after a ruling is we could have that six-week ban then being in place. And just the lack of information, right? I mean, people are concerned because there is very little information. And I think this is highly, highly political. Uh, political, and I think people are, are aware that a lot of anti-choice legislators will pursue this. Nikki, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I, st- I stole the answer to your question. We have to talk about uh, Michigan and Iowa. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nikisha. Well, um, so it's you know, there's a there's a very sort of we're back to the reality of uh, these early 1900s, right, where there are people in certain states who are able to access um, abortion on demand without apology in safe settings. 
Um, states that come to mind here are Illinois, New York, New Jersey. Mm. Um, these are states where the procedure is protected by state law, and that was even sort of before the Dobbs decision. Then we have Michigan, Florida, and Kansas, um, examples of states where the procedure is also protected through the state's constitution, with Michigan successfully voting for their own ballot initiative, similar to Ohio's, to enshrine that right in their state constitution. Mm. Then we start to get a little more muddy, where we have numerous states that have no legal protection and are attempting to enact bans. So this is like Ohio. And that also includes Indiana, Pennsylvania, and Iowa, just to name a few. And then we have states where it is just outright illegal, like West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Mississippi. And the bottom line is this state by state is unbelievably difficult to navigate, Mm -hmm. unbelievably difficult to plan around, including... Uh, You know, a lot of people, I think, had mentioned that, well, if it's just illegal in someone's state, they can go to another state. Anybody who has had a difficult pregnancy would know that this is not simple. Mm. This is extremely costly. And also, some states are even working to criminalize that, to criminalize that travel. So once again, we have a framework in which there's really no sort of coherent strategy. The states are stepping up to do what they want. And the end of the day is women and family are simply suffering. I guess the question then is, can the people change the outcome? The answer, obviously, is yes, we can. But what's happening right now on the ground, boots on the ground, there's petitions going around. uh, Everybody's gathering signatures. I've been out every weekend gathering signatures. What can be done? What are we doing? And what is going to be the outcome if we succeed? And what is the outcome if we don't succeed? Hold on, man. No, she said, hold up. Hold all on. Right, all right. <laughs> I want to go back a little bit because I really want to dive into the six weeks. You know, what does that mean to a woman? Does a woman even know she's pregnant? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a good, you know, I'm sorry, Matt, we're going to get to you. All but right. No, no, no. question is very important. Most women don't even know that they're pregnant at six weeks. And I, I think once again, you know, we, uh, I'll get, I'll get as explicit as, as ever, but, uh, the, Menstruation is extremely complicated. It's not very simple. And, um, you know, I even speaking of myself, I played a lot of sports in high school and that changes your body chemistry. The six week ban is just quite literally absurd um, because it takes no into consideration, I would say, of a woman's body, what happens. Um, and so the, you know, a lot of them, they like to say, well, it still exists. It's at six weeks. Very few women know. And even if you did know, let's say at four weeks, you got two weeks, you got two weeks to figure it out. And again, the stories behind abortion are extremely complicated and extremely diverse. You know what I mean? Not, uh, we're, we're talking about women who absolutely want to have children we're talking about women who maybe don't necessarily want to have children, but that decision is not made easier by some invasive government control. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Or a deadline. Two weeks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so now going back to you, Matt, uh, first of all, thank you for getting out there collecting the signatures. Um, but yes, we absolutely 100% can. I think one of the most significant things to emphasize is that Ohioans and Americans oppose criminalizing abortion. Uh, A recent Gallup poll shows that the opinion that abortion should be illegal in all circumstances is at its lowest when considering surveys dating all the way back to 1976. In other words, abortion bans have never been more unpopular. Right. 
We've also seen an increase in Americans who believe abortion should be legal under any circumstance since 2020 alone. And Ohio's uh, surveys are consistent with those national trends. And we had a, a poll in the fall from Baldwin Wallace that shows that nearly 60% of Ohioans want this right enshrined in the state's constitution. So once again, I would say that the democracy is behind getting this out of the government and letting women and their families with their doctors make this decision. And yeah, we have a once in a lifetime opportunity in Ohio right now um, to fight back against the tyranny of invasive government. Advocates across the state, Ohio and Cuyahoga County Democratic parties included, are mobilizing to collect about 413,000 signatures from registered voters from at least 44 counties. Meaning we got to get about 700, 800,000. Yeah, I mean, and you know, for me, I say let's get a million. Right. Uh, and during that first, um, the first wave of signature collection to just even get it to the ballot board to approve, they collected close to 8,000 signatures in two days. Mm. So yeah, I'm saying let's do a million. Because, um, of course, these have to be valid signatures and people write things wrong, right? Um, so for Cuyahoga in particular, we're mobilizing city and ward leaders, um, including elected or appointed central committee or executive members, um, to work on circulating petitions, gathering signatures. And um, really, this effort is made possible by all of those community leaders, but also a core group of extremely dedicated volunteers um, who have been coming to the office every day, who have been staying up late at night, thinking through ideas. And of course, none of this would be happening without Chairman Dave Brock. Mm -hmm. He made it absolutely clear that this was a priority of the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party. Um, that leadership, if we did not have that, this would not be possible. And so I think we do also have to give him a shout out there. Shout out to Dave. Shout out to Dave. <laughs> Okay, you said something that I, I caught there. I'm a kind of a numbers guy, right? You said Baldwin Wallace did a survey that nearly 60% of Ohioans want the right of abortions enshrined in the Constitution. The word there is nearly. And now you have these bills, HGR1. There's two joint resolutions and one Senate bill. So the joint, is, the joint resolutions are HGR1 and SJR2. Okay. And then there's another Senate bill. Okay, okay. And they are trying to make it so these petitions that people are going to sign to try to get something to the ballot to enshrine this into the Constitution, that needs to clear 60% plus one of the electorate, which, again, you just said nearly. Uh, can you tell us how that could be an obstacle? Well, right now, it's important to note that right now it is 50 plus one. Right. So right now, it 100% is... Explain 50 plus one really quick. Yeah, ooh, someone listening to this is going to be like, she's saying it wrong. Um, but really, it's it. I think it's you can more, put the pressure on me if you want. I, I, could, I could take it. <laughs> I think it's more simply really just to sort of indicate more than that simple majority. Right. So like more than 50 percent. Right. Um, right. And uh, that is right now the standard. But of course, anyone who pays attention to Ohio politics would not be surprised to hear that the super Republican majority is hard at work to change the rules whilst we are working. And so, yeah, as you mentioned, we have these two joint resolutions. We have the Senate bill. That is just an absolute mess. You know, despite last year them banning August elections entirely, they now want to put forward a bill that would bring it back. Mm -hmm. 
millions of dollars, by the way. We're talking about extensive cost and, and infrastructure that is frankly quite inconsiderate to put on. I heard something like $20 million just, or Just absolutely absurd. Mm. Um, so they're trying to do that. They're also, with these joint resolutions, trying to target, again, ra- then raising that threshold. So not that sort of 51%, but higher than that. You know, I think it's interesting. Even if they were successful, we're still going to win. But I think the other part of this is all of that anti-democratic movement is being funded by an out-of-state billionaire who could care less. You know, another shout out that we have to give is to a lot of the Ohio journalists who have been covering um, a lot of this movement. They were the ones who sort of leaked the story that it was an out-of-state billionaire Mm -hmm. through a PAC funding this, especially because, you know, the the advocates for this anti-democratic movement have been claiming that they need to raise the threshold to prevent out-of-state interests. And when we take a closer look, that's exactly what they're doing. Mm. They're actually prioritizing out-of-state interests. And I think something so significant is that more than 240 organizations across the state have come out against this. We're talking about Republican, former Republican governors, former Republican attorneys general. They're saying, do not raise this threshold. This is anti-democratic. So what now? What now? Yes. So I think, you know, again, we got to stay really zero in and focused on this once in a lifetime opportunity in Ohio. We need to be circulating as many petitions as possible, gathering as many signatures possible. And, you know, we haven't even talked about the other unbelievable feat that we have to overcome, which was is also sort of the the voter registration aspect of this. So, you know, not only do we need these signatures, but they need to be signatures of registered voters And then we're also, you know, if we reach that threshold for that 413,000 from 44 counties by early July, then we still have to vote for it in November. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, as always, um, they made a lot of changes to voting in Ohio to make it much more difficult. Um, They've really sort of disenfranchised veterans uh, in terms of what sort of identification they can use to vote. And um, we really have to also sort of, um, you know, I would say as Chairman Brock always says, we're not just mobilizing a sort of petition campaign here. We're building the infrastructure of a county party. So we're talking also about getting people registered to vote, not just signing the petition. But yes, I think big priority right now is get a petition, sign a petition, circulate a petition. And then motivate people to get out to vote. Get out to vote. I mean, this is going to be a big year. We have Sherrod Brown, Senator mm-hmm. Sherrod Brown. He's going to be on the uh, ballot this year. We have, yeah. um, obviously, it's going to be a presidential year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a lot of reasons to, go, to get people out to vote. So we're going to have a good voter turnout. Traditionally, we usually do in a general when the president is on the ballot. Take a look at the, the full picture here. It, it's always easy to sort of blame people. But I think, number one, it's very hard to be an Ohioan. And they're literally working nonstop to make it <laughs> more difficult to vote. I'm, I'm just laughing because I lived abroad. And I always told people, um, I, I, I'm from Ohio. And they're like, well, where's that? <laughs> I'm like, Cleveland. And they're like, nah. I'm like, all right. <laughs> well, and then the second part. It's very hard to be from Ohio. <laughs> it's, ex- it's extremely hard to be a Clevelander. We're mm-hmm, talking yeah. about very high levels of poverty. Mm-hmm. We're talking about very high levels of child hunger. And the bottom line is, it it can be hard to figure out why it is that you should vote when you're worried about feeding your family. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think at the end of the day, yes, I I think voting is one of the most important things that you can do in this country. But I'm not going to sit here and act like people don't have bigger issues that are on top of their mind. And, And, you know, we forget hundreds of thousands of Americans died in the last three years. 
right? Yeah. And again, of course, the Republican supermajority is cheating. They're removing people from voter polls. They're making it more difficult to vote. They're pushing out all of this misinformation. So, you know, I like to think of this as sort of a really like catalytic time for being an Ohioan. Mm. And I, I think that, you know, when I saw the, the turnouts from last year's midterm election, everyone was focused on how red the Ohio voter was. All I saw was on how blue the Ohio non-voter was. People aren't turning out and we need to give them a reason to. And I think this issue right here is absolutely bringing those people out. Now you mentioned uh, how important it is to make sure people who are filling out the petitions are registered, et cetera. But I wanna point out also, which is something I admit just found out, how important it is for the petition signer to have their names signed exactly how they have registered. Yes. Oh yes, oh yes. yes. And I think this is something probably everybody shares is, you know, we don't know what they're gonna throw out. Mm -hmm. We don't know what they're gonna ignore. Um, maybe your signature looks a little different because you're standing and signing it on a clipboard than when you're voting. Right. I think the, you know, it's safe to assume that they're likely to throw out anything that they want to throw out. Mm -hmm. And so we need to absolutely try our hardest to pursue the most perfection addresses. Exactly right. Filling in the boxes. Exactly right. And that's very hard. This is a little off subject, but I want to say that Nikisha, that was a very good question. A good point because uh, when I ran for U- U.S. Congress, I, one thing I did not know, and mm-hmm. this was just me being the first time candidate and, and being a total noob mm-hmm. at this, is that you can go and check the names that you collect for your petition to go oh, onto yeah. the ballot mm-hmm. at the Board of Elections. Mm-hmm. And so I was in there, I was sitting in there turning in my, my names. I got double of what I had to get, but I was turning them in and I didn't check a single one. And here comes Amelia Sykes' uh, team coming in to check him. And I was like, we could do this? <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's why I wanted to point it out because right on site, just shout out to Chagrin Valley Gateway. So <laughs> we sat there when we collected petitions, we made sure that the names on the petitions match what's at the Board of Elections. Mm-hmm. So um, and it took a little time and, and people were being patient because this is what they, they are behind. This is what they want to do. So uh, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> No, that was a, yeah. that, that's a very that's a very very good statement. And one thing that I think that um, unless you went through this process of collecting signatures or running for office, you don't pay attention to this. And sometimes right. people have multiple signatures. Like yeah. I'm not going to use my real signature yeah. on this thing. This I'm is just my... sign it so this person can get away from me. Exactly. You yeah. go to the coffee shop to get a coffee. They say, "Oh, sign your name for your credit card." I'm not signing my signature <laughs> on that. I'm just marking it or whatever. Yeah. And, and so people just don't know that this is you have to have your proper mm-hmm. signature for this. This is serious. That's very a serious. that's a very good point. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a, it's a really high bar. And I think like a lot of people think sort of some this just basic participatory democracy information is accessible and easy. No, it's not. It's not. And I also will give a shout out Cuyahoga County Board of Elections, incredible group of men and women there who really know their stuff are always willing to help. It's honestly, it's an honor that we have them to support us in this county. So Ellen, thank you so much for this information. Um, I know our listening listeners are very grateful to have you here today. Um, if you are any questions, can anybody contact you or what's the best way, one, to sign the petition, get a petition, and what is the next way to get some answers? Absolutely. I think uh, number one, if you haven't signed a petition, feel free to contact the Cuyahoga County headquarters. The phone number for the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party headquarters in Downtown Cleveland is 216-621-9750. You can email at info at 
kydem.com. That's C-U-Y-D-E-M.com. And it's located at 3615 Superior Avenue at Suite 4401A. Contact the headquarters. Um, you're more than welcome to come to the headquarters to sign one, or also the volunteers will figure out a way to deploy a, a petition to you. If you're interested in circulating one, also come to headquarters. We'll get you all set up. We'll get you everything you need to get started. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm posted up here with the amazing volunteers, usually Tuesday through Saturday, 12 to 6. Um, so always excited to answer questions or even get in a political debate for whomever has had enough coffee. So thank you so much, Ellen. We are blessed to have you today. So thank you for coming in. Thank you. Thank you both. This has been great. Thank you for listening to the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party's podcast, Cuyahoga Today. Tune in next week for our latest show and find out all of the latest information that's happening right here in your community. Show your support by going to www.cuydem.com and make a contribution. Do you have any questions about the show? Is there a topic you want us to cover? Or is there someone you want us to interview? If so, Send your requests and questions to info at cuydem.com. Thank you again for joining our podcast. Until next week.